And I want to invite you to open your Bibles to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. As we turn to God's Word, as you continue worshiping through your offering, we now also turn to worship through listening. Listening to what God has to say in His Word going to read beginning in verse 7 down through 18 and then a few verses later beginning in verse 25. Let me just say as as the offering is being completed that I, I was struck as we were singing all glory be to Christ earlier. Uh, you know, we are, we are by the grace and for the glory of God, uh, four months in to Risen Hope, and, and just, I am amazed at God's goodness to us. I am amazed at His grace. All, all glory be to Christ for these, these months of His blessing and His favor. Uh, just very humbled as we sang that. My heart was humbled. Fourth through sixth graders may be dismissed. Uh, who's, who's Mark, I think? Mark and Victor, Okay. Thank you. I just want to give glory to Christ for uh, his amazing goodness to us in these first few months. And I I do want to thank you, faithful folks, for uh, being a part of it and serving and giving so well to the glory of God, to the glory of God. John chapter 10, and beginning in verse 7. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. And then down to verse 25. Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. 
My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Lord Jesus, by your Spirit and by your grace, come and be a shepherd to us this morning. Lead us into good pastures that we may be nourished by your word. We ask for your glory. Amen. Well, this is the fourth in a brief Christmas series of messages that we've entitled, I Have Come. And in this series, we've been trying to illuminate the meaning of Christmas. What is Christmas all about in Jesus' own words? By looking at statements he made that define and explain the reason for his coming. So, I have come, Hebrews chapter 10 to do your will, O God, and be a sacrifice for sin. I have come, or I was sent, Luke chapter 5, I was sent to proclaim liberty to the captive and uh, sight to the blind. And this morning, Jesus says to us, I came, in verse 10, I came. In other words, Christmas happened. I was born, I came to earth, I left heaven came to earth, that they, that you, may have life and have it abundantly. In other words, Christmas happened to make us alive and then to bless us extravagantly in the process. In this message, I I want us to see something that will not only bless us in the moment, but I trust will will affect us, our attitudes, our perspective as we move into the new year, as as we get up every morning. The the, the truth of this text is is an attitude changer. It's a game changer. uh, God has in Christ come to give us life. And not just life, not just to make us alive, not just to enable us to survive, but to thrive to experience his abundance. I have come. I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. Now, every time I think on truths like this, I I find myself as a pastor just feeling the need to make sure that that I give some kind of qualifier right up front. All right, folks, we live in a day where there are well-known loudly proclaimed teachers and teachings out there that define the abundant life in terms of health and wealth. They define it in terms of prosperity. And folks, that, is, that really is false teaching from false teachers and those falsehoods have a way of being sweet on the tongue but bitter in the soul. Because when real life hits and real losses happen and real crisis happens and real sickness happens and real death happens and real loss of job happens or real wayward child happens or or real mental illness happens or whatever it is, when that happens, those who have believed that God intended for them to be healthy and wealthy are faced with the bitter of reality. And it, it tastes good on the tongue, but it's bitter in the soul. 
And it feels as if God has pulled a bait and switch. God said, I'll give you all this if you come to me. We come to him and he doesn't give us all this. We, we need to be guarded against such ideas for, for they, will, they will embitter your heart and they will, sooner or later, they will weaken your faith because of the disappointment that it brings. The abundance that Jesus has in mind here does not have to do with health and wealth materially or physically. It has to do with a health and wealth of a different sort, an abundance in the soul, an abundance in the heart, an abundance in the spirit, an abundance in relationship with God. And Jesus is saying to us that this abundance or coming to faith in him, having life in him is is more than it might at first seem. It's bigger and deeper and more wonderful. It is not just some simple small act of faith or experience of life. It is the entrance into something abounding, something abundant, something wonderful. There is something bigger on the inside of our faith and our relationship with God then might first seem to be the case when you start. If, if you're familiar with C.S. Lewis and The Last Battle, uh, the last book in his series, The Chronicles of Narnia, you will know that in The Last Battle, there is this image, there is this stable on a hill. And when you open the door to the stable, you enter Aslan's country. You enter what is in Lewis's mind, heaven. And this is a place that has extraordinary beauty and magnificence and wonder. And the further up and the further in you go, the more marvelous it is. And and Lewis pauses in the writing of the book. And he says that the stable was bigger on the inside than it was on the outside. And then he reminds us that there was once another stable in a long ago Christmas night that also had something bigger on the inside than on the outside. Coming to faith in Christ is something that is bigger on the inside than on the outside. It may seem small, it may seem simple, but it's, it is the entrance into an abundant life. And I, this, this concept of something bigger on the inside than the outside has fascinated me and filled me with worship any number of times. And it's illustrated and manifested in nature and in our world. You know, just, just think Tim Shorey here for a second. I stand six feet four inches tall, 200 and <laughs> something pounds. I started as a teeny tiny microscopic embryo in my mother's womb. But there was something on the inside that was bigger than the outside. And this is what you get from that. But more than this, six children, nine grandchildren, generations to come, bigger on the inside than on the outside. Think Apple seed, orchards, and 
houses and billions of apples over time from one little seed. Bigger on the inside than on the outside. Your relationship with Jesus Christ, your relationship with God, so much bigger than you might realize. Jesus says, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. Let's think about this this morning. Let's let's realize that Jesus wants us to know this truth. He wants us to believe this truth. He wants us to live this truth. That we are called to an abundant life in Him. So let me let me help you. Let me help you know the truth, believe the truth, live the truth, uh, by leading you into three thoughts regarding this abundant life: what it is, who paid for it, and how you receive it. So, what it is, who paid for it, and how you receive it. First, notice what it is. If we if we look at John chapter. 10, we see that there are, there are at least seven parts to this abundant life that God intends for us. The first is a tasting of the goodness, the lavish goodness of Christ. Being, having an abundant life is a tasting of the lavish goodness of Christ. Look at verse 10. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I just want you to notice the word abundantly. It, it means exceedingly, greatly, extravagantly, lavishly. I want you to have life, but not just life. I want this life to be a demonstration of the lavish goodness and bounty and blessing of God. God wants our lives to be abundant. He is an extravagantly kind God. He is a lavishly good God. I just want this reality about God to sink into our hearts. It's it's something that can set us on our way in a a new direction, in a a wonderful direction, in a strong and healthy, spiritually healthy direction as we move into a new year. How do you think about God? Is your thinking about God, that he is stingy, that he's miserly, that he's reluctant, that he's hesitant? Or is your, is your thinking about God that he is cheerful in his impulse to give us everything that is best for us? That, that he is a God whose impulse is to satisfy his children with all the very best, all the very best that he is, all the very best that he has. God is not stingy. God is not reluctant. God is not a miser. God is not just just counting out in pennies and little bits and pieces, the blessings that he wants to give to us. He is poised. He is ready. He is eager to make our lives abundant. That's, That's who he is. Think of God that way. Don't have a sour, dour attitude about God. You know, don't, don't think that God is, God is just so reluctant and so hesitant, some kind of, oh, I don't know, slow, Ebenezer Scrooge, maybe. You know, that, he is, that he just, he hoards and he gathers. No, he's not, he's not a taking God. He's a giving God. 
This, this distinguishes the God of Scripture from all other gods. He's not a taking God. He is a God who gives and gives and gives again. And He invites us to Himself, not so that we can meet a need in Him. He doesn't need us. God was getting along fine without us before He made us. He can get along fine without us now. He doesn't need us. We need Him. And He and His generosity... He he calls us to commitment, he calls us to faith, he calls us to give, but it's not because he needs our commitment or our faith or our giving. It's because we need commitment and faith and giving. And the best things of God come as we surrender to him. He is this lavish God. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Paul puts it in Acts 17. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He doesn't need you. You need him. What wonderful, extraordinary grace and kindness there is in the heart of God. And I just want us to just experience that as we begin this morning. What does it mean to have an abundant life? It is to taste the lavish goodness of God. It's to know that God is good. And God is kind and God is generous to us. Secondly, this abundant life includes being fed by Christ. Not just tasting the lavish goodness of Christ, but it's being fed, nourished by Christ. Look at verse 9. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. That's, that's an image, it's a picture of feeding and nurture and nourishment. Jesus says that you know, there are false teachers, there are thieves that come in to steal and kill and destroy, but I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. They came to take stuff from you, I came to feed you. I, I'm going to put you in pastures that are good. You're going to go in and out and find pastures, green pastures of nourishment and blessing. And in many ways, the Gospel of John is, is a proclamation of the good pastures. The fullness and abundance that we have in the Lord. There's there's the pasture of grace and truth. Remember chapter 1? The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We've seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Jesus leads us into the pasture of His grace, His favor, His mercy, and His truth. But then there's the pasture in which there is a stream of living water flowing. John chapter 4 and 7, Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow Rivers of living water. Here's a pasture. When you're parched and when you're dry. When you need something fresh to water your soul. There is in Christ a pasture. A pasture where there's living water. 
Well, there's, there's a pasture where there's soul-satisfying bread and food. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Or there's, there's a pasture of life-giving light. John 8, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Here's, here's a pasture where the sun is shining. Here's a pasture where the light is bright. Here's, here's a pasture where you just go and it never turns night because Jesus shines. Or there's the pasture of freedom where Jesus says, if you abide in my word, you're my disciples, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. There's a pasture where you just... You run and you're, you're free, more and more free from sin, more and more free from guilt, more and more free from bondage, more and more free from self, and free to live as you were meant to live. There's the pasture of abounding joy. Jesus says in John 15, these things I've spoken to you that your joy may be full. I want you to Taste the fullness of joy. So there's grace, there's truth, there's rivers of water, the bread of heaven, light and freedom and joy and peace. These are the pastures. What does it mean to have an abundant life? It means that you are experiencing a relationship with God in which there is a growing measure of freedom and joy and peace as you you graze in the pasture of God's mercy and God's truth. But there's more. There's more. The abundant life involves, third, being known by Christ. Verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my own. And my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. Here's here's abundant life. Oh, Lord, give us grace to... To see this, to to hear this this morning. Abundant life is being known by Jesus. Do do you know that you are known? That you are known by Him? I don't think there's any greater joy. I don't think there's any greater comfort. I don't think there is any greater peace or security than knowing that you are known by the one whose knowing really counts. That you are known by the one who knows everything, but then knows you in a personal way, in an in a intimate way, in a way that is filled with love and with affection. Jesus says, I know my sheep. There, there are people in this room this morning who I dare to say are living life feeling like they are invisible. They feel like they're living life in the shadows. They feel like they're living life where nobody really knows them. Nobody really cares for them. Nobody really understands them. Nobody really gets them. Well, Jesus says, here's the abundant life. I know my sheep. I know you. I understand you. Oh, I understand you. He understands me. I don't even understand me. He understands me. He knows my deepest thoughts, my deepest hurts, my deepest secrets, my my deepest struggles, my deepest sins. He knows it all, yet loves me nonetheless. 
This is a knowledge of understanding. It is a knowledge of acceptance. It is a knowledge of, of, of affection. It's a knowledge of intimacy. It's a knowledge of love. He knows his sheep. This is abundant living. No matter who else may not know you, he does know you. No matter how much you may feel like you're invisible, you're not invisible. He sees you. His eye is on the sparrow. His eye is on you. This is, this, this is the kind of abundance in the soul that can frankly give you strength and courage for any adversity. For any trial. No matter where you are, no matter what you're facing. My God knows me. And he sees me right here, right now in my circumstances. Abundant life is being known by Christ. Four, the abundant life includes being one in Christ. Being one in Christ. Look at verse 16. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock and one shepherd. Jesus is talking here to Jewish sheep. He's talking to people of Jewish blood and ethnicity, and he is saying to them, yes, you are part of my flock, you are part of my fold. From ancient times in Abraham, the Hebrews have been my sheep. But now he's saying, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I have other sheep that are not Jewish. I have Gentile sheep. That's all the rest of us. I have have those who are ethnically and culturally different, but there's going to be one flock and one shepherd. This is part of the abundant life, folks, that we get to experience together with all of our diversity of age and ethnicity and economically and life experience and all the rest, we get to experience unity, oneness in Christ. There is one shepherd, there is one flock. This, I have found, has been an extraordinary blessing as as more and more my life mixes in with those that are different from me and I realize, wow, this is glorious. This is glorious. This is a this is a complementing and completing experience. And it's abundant life. It's abundant life as we cherish the fact that with all of our differences and diversity, we are one in Jesus. One flock, one shepherd, one father. This is life abundant. A fifth blessing of the abundant life is being secured by Christ. Being secured by Christ. Verses 27 through 30. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Jesus is teaching here that the abundant life involves security. It involves safety. It involves being held in the hand of God, being held onto, held tight, held secure. 
held in such a way that no one, that nothing can ever snatch us out of his hand. This is the work of Christ, the love of Christ for us. Once he has set his heart upon us, he never lets that heart wander or lets us wander from him. He holds on. You know, there's a truth here that we just need to understand if we're going to live abundantly in Christ. And that is that as important as it is for you and I to hold on to Christ, it is far more important and precious that he hold on to us. Our security and our safety is not found in our ability to hold on to him. But in the knowledge that he never fails to hold on to us. And he has committed his eternal, everlasting love to securing us in his hand. This is abundant life being secured by Christ. And then, let me give you one more. The abundant life involves knowing Christ even as we are known. Knowing Christ even as we are known. There's two ways this is expressed in the text. In verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. He says there's, there's a parallel between the knowledge that he has of the Father and the knowledge we have of him. We know Jesus. We know God. Or in verse 28, I give them eternal life. What's eternal life? It's not just life that goes on forever and ever. Look over, just flip over to John chapter 17. John 17 in verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that you that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. What's eternal life? God so loved the world that he gave his only son to whoever believes in him should have eternal life. What is eternal life? Jesus says it's knowing the true God. It is is having within your soul, having within your spirit a knowledge of God, an experience of God, not just an awareness about God, not just a knowledge about God, not just a familiarity with God, not just an acquaintance with God, with God, but a deep knowledge of God. I, I, I met John Havlicek one time. Some of you don't even know who John Havlicek is. How many of you do? All right, Hall of Fame basketball player for the Boston Celtics. Yay, Celtics. All right. I just lost you there, didn't I? Uh, hang with me here, folks. All right. Um, one time, as an 18-year-old working at McDonald's in Franklin, New Hampshire, I'm cooking Egg McMuffins. And I lift my eyes, and coming through the door is John Havlicek. And he ate an Egg McMuffin that I cooked. (laughs) 
and after that went to the Hall of Fame. <laughs> I went up to John Havlicek. I said, just want to be sure, are you John Havlicek? He said, yes, I'm John Havlicek. You just ate an egg McMuffin that I cooked. No, I didn't say that. But, <laughs> but I shook his hand. I met John Havlicek. Back in the day, I could have told you a lot about John Havlicek. I could have told you his statistics, his career, his Havlicek stole the ball. I could, I could have told you all about him, but I didn't know him. He didn't know me. And he forgot me before I finished my first sentence. I was nothing to him. And in reality, he was very little to me. I knew about him. He was an acquaintance I was familiar with. But I did not know John Havlicek. We've all, many of us, I'm sure, have met famous people at one point or another without knowing them. Jesus says to us, this is abundant life right here. This life that is eternal. It's eternal not just because it lasts forever, but because it's a life in relationship with the eternal one. It's eternal in quantity, endless years. It's eternal in quality. It is with the one who is endless and limitless and infinite in his being. This is what it means to have an abundant life. More and more with each passing day, no matter what the circumstances, no matter what the afflictions, no matter what the trials. More and more with each passing day, getting to know God, getting to know Jesus just a little bit better than we did yesterday. And you find out that there is this wellspring of joy and, and contentment and satisfaction that rushes from within. I don't need to be rich. I don't need to be healthy. I don't need to be wealthy. I don't need everything I had on my Christmas list. So long as I know God and know that he knows me, my life can be and will be richly abundant. This is the abundant life. And you can tell, can't you, that it's a life that is untouchable. Circumstances can't get to it. Crisis and affliction can't affect it because this isn't about how I feel or what I have. It's about who I have. It's who I know, who knows me. Years ago when I was a teenager, I, I read a book, and the book begins with a quote from a 20-year-old 20 preacher. And this preacher's name was Charles Spurgeon. This is when he was 20 years old. He wrote the following. This is a bit lengthy, but it's worth it. Hear what he had to say. It has been said by some, someone that the proper study of mankind is man. I will not oppose the idea, but I believe it is equally true that the proper study of God's elect, that's us who belong to him, is God. The proper study of a Christian is the Godhead, the highest science, the loftiest speculation, the mightiest philosophy which can ever engage the attention of a child of God is the name, the nature, the person, the work, the doings, and the existence of the great God whom he calls his Father. 
There is something exceedingly improving to the mind in a contemplation of the divinity. It is a subject so vast that our, all our thoughts are lost in its immensity, so deep that our pride is drowned in its infinity. But while the subject humbles the mind, it also expands it. He who often thinks of God will have a larger mind than the man who simply plods around this narrow globe. After all, the most excellent study for expanding the soul is the science of Christ and Him crucified and the knowledge of the Godhead in the glorious Trinity. Nothing will so enlarge the intellect, nothing so magnify the whole soul of man as a devout, earnest, continued investigation of the great subject of the deity. And whilst humbling and expanding, this subject is eminently consolatory or comforting. Oh, there is in contemplating Christ, a balm for every wound. In musing on the Father, there is a quietus for every grief. And in the influence of the Holy Ghost, there is a balsam for every sore. Would you lose your sorrows? Would you drown your cares? Then go plunge yourself into Godhead's deepest sea. Be lost in his immensity. And you shall come forth as from a couch of rest, refreshed and invigorated. I know of nothing which can so comfort the soul, so calm the swelling billows of grief and sorrow, so speak peace to the winds of trial as a devout musing upon the subject of the Godhead. It is to that subject that I invite you this morning, said a 20-year-old. It is to that experience that Jesus invites us all. I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. Well, what is that abundant life? Well, it is found in a devout musing upon the subject of the Godhead. It is found in knowing God. And finding in everyday life fresh revelations of the being and the beauty and the love and the character and the goodness and the holiness and the majesty, and the faithfulness, and the generosity, and the kindness of God. May it be that we know these truths, and then believe these truths, and then live these truths in our lives. This is, this is what it is, and that's my big point. These, this is what it is, the abundant life. Let me just very quickly, but hopefully emphatically, add this. Who paid for it? Who paid for it? Comes to you free, but who paid for it? What does Jesus say? I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus paid for this abundant life through the giving of his life on the cross. Jesus paid for our abundant life by paying the debt of our sin off in his dying on the cross. He bled out and died for our sins and really endured God's curse and God's judgment so that we could experience God's blessing and God's favor. This is free to us. It cost everything for Jesus. So as we 
as we think about the abundant life, let's, let's not treat it lightly or carelessly let's, or flippantly or haphazardly. Let's cherish it. Let's cherish it as a gift, yes, but a gift that costs something dear to the shepherd of our souls, Jesus Christ. And so how do we receive it? Well, in verse 27, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. That's the language of faith, according to, in John's gospel. You hear his voice and you follow. How do you receive abundant life? You hear the voice of Jesus calling to you. Come to me. Turn away from your sin. Come to me. Trust me. Come to me for life. Not to your money, not to your stuff, not to your education, not to your home, not to your car, not to your clothes. Come to me for life. Hear my voice, Jesus says, and follow me. Surrender. Give up the right to dictate the direction of your life. Follow me, Jesus says. Hear my voice and follow me, and you will be one of my sheep. And as one of my sheep, you will experience life eternal and life abundant. I said at the beginning that I believe this text is, is it's a game changer and a life changer and an attitude changer and a perspective changer. It, it changes everything. It changes how we view God. He is not a miser. He is a God who abounds in loving kindness and generosity. It changes how we view our faith. Our faith is not just a small thing, an inconsequential thing. No, it's bigger on the inside than it is on the outside. It's, it's something that leads to abundance. It changes how we view abundance. It's not about health and wealth. It's about knowing and being known by God. It changes how we get up in the morning. It changes the direction, the pursuits, the ambitions, the goals, the commitments of our life. It changes how we face suffering. Because we don't look to ease or comfort or health or wealth to find happiness. We look to Him. And we actually realize that the suffering leads us to deeper happiness in him. So as we approach 2016, let's approach it knowing the kind of God we have, the kind of life he offers, the kind of savior and shepherd we have. And let's live it to the full for his glory and our joy. Amen.